0: Welcome to Neural Information Retrieval Talks. Uh, This is episode five. My name is Sergi Castella. Uh, I work at Zera Alpha, and today is a very special day because it's our first episode with uh, with an external guest besides uh, our co-host, usual co-host.
1: I'm Andrew Yates. I'm an assistant professor at the University of Amsterdam,
0: and with us we have Antonis uh, Krasakis.
2: Yeah, exactly. I'm a PhD student at uh, the University of Amsterdam, also. I'm working on conversational search, so it's good to be here.
0: Yeah. So the reason, like uh, Anthony said, uh, that we brought uh, him on here is that we wanted to talk about conversational search, and he has, uh, you know, he's working on this actively. So he has a lot of this detailed knowledge uh, that we might have missed otherwise. Um, so I think that uh, to begin with, um, I would like to uh, explain why. We think conversational AI uh, or conversational search is interesting and p- like uh, disambiguate what those terms mean, so um, can you describe a little bit what what are we talking about when we 're talking about conversational search
2: right uh, so I would say it 's a bit of a new domain, so people might call conversational search all type of different things, but uh, what we're looking uh, here in this paper is basically conversational passage retrieval, uh, where the idea is that uh, you have a system interacting with a assistant, like for instance Siri or Google Assistant, and so on and so forth. And he's trying to uh, extract, to, to satisfy some information needs that he has. So it's a search scenario. Uh, but this search is happening through a conversation rather than just going to a search engine and typing a query and This is something that uh, has been becoming more and more popular since we have like uh, assistants in our phones and uh, also in our houses and so on so is this like a subset of conversational AI or are they different some way uh, so the yeah the conversation uh, the passage retrieval part is more um, uh, rather than trying to answer specifically questions we're trying to find documents from the web or uh, uh, or Wikipedia or something like that that are close to what the uh, user is trying to uh, answer.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, something, I mean, this is taking a bit of a step back, but something I find really interesting about this whole topic of conversational AI, not only conversational search, is that when I um, ask my friends who don't know anything about computer science and stuff, uh, like, and I tell them I'm working in AI, <laughs> one of the first things that they bring up is these, you know, computers that answer questions to you or kind of keep up with the conversation with you. And I feel that's kind of a still uh, historically probably a quite, um, uh, you know, fundamental quest in the bigger picture in AI to solve, uh, you know, to make computers be able to carry on a conversation uh, a bit like uh, humans do, which is a bit of a hard uh Task, I would, I would say.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a hard problem. And I think some of these neural methods are why we start to make progress because now it's at least possible to somewhat understand what someone said and, and feed it to some other system, mm-hmm. right? So we'll look at a conversational system that the query is fed to. But just having, you know, neural methods that can understand the audio well enough to form it into a query, I think, is it's essential.
0: That, that's actually a very interesting point. Um, when we, uh, the, the audio point, are we talking about uh, does conversational imply that we're working with audio or with text or like, is it both or what, what are we, um,
2: so, so I think in, in this, uh, in this, uh, task, uh, you, people usually uh, use, uh, uh, text. So they assume that it's uh, transcribed and in a good way, also.
1: Yeah, I guess in the research setting, we're starting from text because we assume that's what we have, and then maybe in like a product setting, it's often audio, right? Something like Siri or, or Google Assistant. Uh, mm. I think this is more common than like interacting with the chatbot for search. But yeah, then we when we look at the research side, you know, we can assume that the the text has the utterance has already been transcribed. I guess. Mm-hmm. Okay, so
0: like when we talk about conversation, so uh, like uh, we're we're gonna be assuming that we're talking about text. Uh, yeah. From now on. Yeah.
2: Uh, so that. Seems a bit unnatural, but it simplifies somehow. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, before we jump into the. Um, into the details of the topic why do you why did you choose to start uh, working on conversational search instead of conventional or query based search or i don't know how you call the other
2: yeah so i think it's a very interesting uh, area because as we have like more uh, big data sets and neural methods and so on and so forth there is increased capabilities of the systems for natural language understanding so i think through conversation interactions you can you can also uh, maybe express uh, more complex information needs mm. oh. and it makes sense that uh, also through the interaction the user might want to uh, ask related questions that have some sort of coherency which is what we see here uh, and I think this interaction basically is a very very interesting uh, topic that's here to stay
0: Mm-hmm um, so I mean, I think you kind of already hinted at that, but my next question was like, what makes conversational search more challenging mm-hmm. than regular search? So can you speak to that a bit?
2: Yeah, I think so. indeed, it's the uh, uh, is the natural language understanding capabilities, first of all, at least in this setting where we assume that uh, the conversation part is in the query. Mm-hmm. Um, so, if you think of how humans converse, It's something very, very complex, right? If you, uh, especially in the beginning when people were trying to search, uh, you would go to the search engine and type uh, terms that you were, uh, you you would try to make the query as easy as possible to the search engine. Mm -hmm. But this doesn't happen when you speak to each other, right? So that's the ideal state we would like to go, but of course we're quite far away from that. (laughs)
0: Yeah, it's kind of interesting. point. I remember being told as a kid, uh, like how to use Google. Oh, like don't use top words. Just kind of, just like <laughs> type like uh, you know, just important words and skip the rest. And I feel that's a behavior that's uh, been changing right in the past.
1: Yeah, I mean that's almost uh, it, this doesn't work as well as it used to. I feel I don't know of a good study no. on this, but just entering keywords into Google is not what it once was from my personal user experience. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely.
0: We're going to be anchoring this discussion in this paper that's called Few-Shot Conversational Dance Retrieval by Xi Yu and colleagues from the Tsinghua University and Microsoft Research. And this paper was published in May, 2021. So, uh, can you give us a sneak peek of uh, what this paper does, why we chose it, and why it's sort of important in this space of conversational research?
2: Right. So, uh, this paper is uh, looking, as we said, at the conversational passage retrieval um, mm-hmm. uh, task, uh, where this uh, the main idea is that you have um, a user. Uh, asking questions to a search engine, to an interactive search engine, and it uh, expects to get relevant passages back. Uh, So we can see an example here uh, in figure one. Uh, The first question might be, tell me about the Bronze Age collapse. Uh, The user gets a relevant passage back, hopefully. And then he asks the follow-up question, what's the evidence for it? Mm -hmm. Uh, So this is basically the the task that we're trying to solve. And uh, it's different from ad hoc search in the sense that uh, in in turn two, uh, you have to also take uh, advantage of the history to understand what's the information you uh, need of the user. Mm-hmm. And the reason why we chose this is that uh, it's the first paper, to the best of my knowledge, that... Uh, so most of the papers, the way they try to tackle this problem is that they um, they take the second question and they rewrite it in a way that's self-contained. mm mm-hmm so it turns into Bronze Age collapse, and then they do ad hoc ranking with uh, common methods, right? But this is the first paper, basically, uh, that ingested the conversation as a whole and built a dense representation uh, out of it. I think that's why it's it's a really interesting paper. Okay,
0: and if I understood correctly, uh, we're talking, there's, oh, like, there's a document or a list of documents retrieved per turn of, per, per turn of conversation, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. It's not yeah. like there's a conversation at, at the end, so there's always an interaction between the... Um...
1: Right, yeah. Every time you say something, you express some information, you, you expect to get some documents back, I suppose. And so you may ask up another question informed by those documents. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, the first one asked about the Bronze Age collapse, and then the second, what, what is the evidence for it? So, what is the evidence for the Bronze Age collapse? Would be a more complete way to say this, but this is one of the challenges. We we need like a query rewriter, or as we'll see in this paper, some other way to okay. to include that information from the context.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, can we uh, start talking about the? I think I would start with the representation uh, side of things. Do you think that makes sense? Um, how documents are represented. How. Um, uh, Questions are well, Questions or conversations are represented. I mean, you already hinted a little bit um, on that. So why don't we start with passage representations? How do people normally represent document or passages in a conversational search setting?
2: Uh, yeah. Right. So um, in the in the context of this paper, uh, you have a dense retriever. So uh, all of the most of the uh, the paper, the method is based on uh, ANC answer as I call it, um, uh, which is a dense retriever uh, for normal ad-hoc queries, um, and it has, uh, I think it's a bi-encoder model?
1: Yeah, so this is a, yeah, a type of bi-encoder. Yeah. You insert some text, you get the vector representation out.
2: Yeah. yeah, so basically the idea is that you have a query, you embed it into a dense space, then you have all of the document collection, which you have all already embedded in the dense space, and then you do maximum inner product search or approximate nearest neighbor search uh, to find the uh, closest document okay. uh, to the query. So
0: this is pretty much equivalent to um, what you would find in other uh, dense retrieval settings that we've talked in the past.
2: Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, exactly. And okay. the, the previous methods don't necessarily have to be dense retrieval methods since uh, yeah, most of them just produce a text. Which you can use uh, in any way that you want.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, So that said, how do you represent uh,
1: conversations? I think maybe the easiest way, if we consider the query rewriter, so resolving that it, for example, we just don't need to do anything different. We've we've written the query, so now our query is what is the evidence for the Bronze Age collapse, and now we can just use a by quote to write normal. I think right. Yeah. 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 So I, I think that's the simplest case.
0: So rewriting the uh, query into a thing you used before decontext. What what term did you use for the?
2: Uh... Uh, yeah. Self. To, into a self contained query, somehow mm-hmm. that does not depend anymore. You don't have to read the history basically to make sense of it. Yeah.
1: So, so like a term like it, he or she would need to be resolved in yeah, other terms. Exactly, this is the intuition yeah. here.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. No, that, that, that uh, makes sense. So, how do you um, rewrite a conversation into a self contained query? Or how people have tried <laughs> to do that.
2: Okay, yeah. So, uh, what, what had been really uh, common uh, up to this point was that uh, people just, uh, there would be a system that reads all of the conversation, so Q1, Q2, Q3, uh, and then it would uh, produce uh, a new query. Uh, so, for instance, what is the evidence of the Bronze Age collapse?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, and then you would feed this into a first stage ranker, could be BM25 or a dense retriever, and then you would typically also do re-ranking with BERT or T5 and so on and so forth. Um, so yeah, basically this has had ended up being like a pipeline approach where you have a query rewriter or resolver, whatever you want to call it, and then a first stage ranker and then second stage ranking, which is basically a typical ad hoc ranking case. Yeah.
0: Yeah, or you could say that it, you basically turn a conversational search uh, task into a conventional search task by doing this step, and then whatever methods apply, right? Is that.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's like a query rewrite step, and now you're in normal ad hoc retrieval land, and so Colbert to buy encoder BM25. Anything can be used. I think.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Right.
1: But that, the, this paper does something a bit different, right? So I yeah, guess they're yeah, ge- yeah. getting rid of this query rewriting step. Is the, right, the idea exactly?
2: And uh, yeah, the, the, the so uh, so far uh, the, the the most interesting part uh, or important was the query writer for this task, right? And the different types of methods that people usually use to do query write is that. Um, they were either uh, trying to pick up terms from the history uh, that were relevant and append, uh, uh, like concatenate them in the end of the query. Okay. Uh, so in question two, uh, you would ideally pick up Bronze Age Collapse and your query would become what is the evidence of it, Bronze Age Collapse. Okay. So this is basically uh, adding terms from Mm -hmm. the history, and I guess it makes a lot
0: of sense in a sparse uh, retrieval setting, or because this is not like a natural language query, so to speak,
2: right? Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. And you also have methods that are uh, based on full rewriting mm -hmm. sequence-to-sequence model that would rewrite it in a more natural way.
0: Mm -hmm. And uh, actually. I don't know if, if you have any information about that, but how in the in sort of past research, how important is this rewriter uh, step in terms of end performance? Is it like a really um, uh, make it or break it kind of step, or pretty much anything goes when it comes to rewriting a conversation into a query?
2: I think for some queries very very important so for instance, if you see q two, what is the evidence for it? If you have, even if you have the best ranker in the world, I think it <laughs> yeah. couldn't save this. Yeah, uh, there's
1: nothing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, So, so I, I think prior to this paper, it was very important to use a query rewriter. Is is this that true?
2: Yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Or yeah, rewrite in some way. Perhaps. I
1: mean, assuming so, you have uh, clear areas with these anaphora, like pronouns and so on. Yeah. I, I guess exactly. you must do some sort of rewriting. Without this approach yeah, yeah, yeah. that we haven't described <laughs> yet.
2: I mean the simplest uh, way would be also to take all of the conversation as a history as a as a query but that might lead you to very contradicting yeah results. yeah
0: or a lot of not important words being uh, yeah, yeah. yeah yeah and um actually um, I don't know if I'm misunderstanding something here but uh is there any method uh, currently or before this that um Incorporated the previously retrieved documents into a later stage um, retrieval um. so so what I'm asking here is like imagine I'm interacting with with the system uh, and at, at turn one, I ask what is the um, Evidence for the no, sorry. Um, what was uh, the example? Uh, we tell were me using? about the Brand-Jades
1: class. Oh yes, tell
0: me about the Brontes class, <laughs> and then it gives me a few uh, documents, and then I ask, "What is the evidence about it?" I would expect the the set of documents that are retrieved to be somewhat complementary to the previous ones, or, or something like that, or. Um, um, is it something that's ever taken into account uh, in these type of tasks? Or is it really each uh, turn is completely independent of the previously retrieved documents?
2: Yeah, right. So this has to do with the task and how uh, the data set is built and so on and so forth. So uh, this was introduced actually in the CAST 2020. So um, uh, Q2 could also depend on the previous uh, retrieved passage. Mm-hmm. So uh, you can imagine an example where uh, this the system responds with a passage, and the user finds something interesting in the passage and asks something uh, about it, mm-hmm. right? So, which is a more realistic and more complex scenario, actually.
1: Okay. So I guess it's something like anything the user has. Said or seen becomes part of the context, right? It could yeah, it, right. it could be the question they asked, but maybe they ask a question about the, the passage that the conversational agent gave back. Is that the?
2: Yeah, uh, exactly. It's not so uh, blind. So uh, okay, Q one is going to be this, Q two is going to be this, and so on and so forth. Uh, but it's still those data sets are still uh, not uh, real, right? They're uh, so they have limitations in the sense that. Uh, you still assume that there is one passage retrieved and it's always the same, so that the the data set creators are able to construct a conversation that is somehow consistent for everyone to use. Okay. There are Um, these sort of limitations in general.
0: Yeah, and of course, it it seems uh, very hard intuitively to construct a labeled data set of
1: conversations,
0: right? Because it's like you can only follow one of the possible paths and that doesn't give you that much information
1: uh, in a sense. So I I think, typically, there's something like teacher forcing, right? Where even if your system found the wrong passage, for evaluation purposes, you still show it the correct canonical passage. Yeah, 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 Yeah. right, yeah. yeah. Just to keep things on track. I mean, it would be impossible otherwise. It's an assumption, but.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, Anyway, so uh, if we go back to the method that's proposed, uh, in this paper, can we can we uh, quickly get into that? Like, how is this different from the um, the, the query rewriting step?
2: Right. So at inference time, uh, you don't have to use a query writer. So what happens is that uh, the dense retriever directly uh, reads all of the conversation and it uh, it encodes it into a dense representation, which is like basically the blue. Uh, dots the blue embedding over figure one. Uh,
0: Mm
2: -hmm. Correct, yeah. Uh, And uh, yeah, basically then you take this representation and you do uh, uh, inner product search with the document embeddings.
0: So you basically feed the whole conversation untouched, quote unquote, uh, to the model and then the model figures out how to best encode that into the... um, um into a dense uh, vector now um they use uh, here uh, uh i mean the, in the few shot is in the title and um they mentioned that they use uh, a teacher student setup um to train this this model now um can you uh, explain what is a teacher student setup why is it
2: necessary in this uh, case, and how do they make it work?
0: um,
2: Right, so uh, this is actually the most uh, interesting uh, part of the paper also. So how do you go from this conversation to the dense representation that's correct somehow, right? Um, So what people uh, do in general in this space is that, uh, that's very common also for the previous uh, query writers, Uh, that you have a set of questions, conversational questions, uh, like the ones that we saw. Uh, And then you have, uh, there are some data sets that provide uh, rewritten questions by a human. So what we said earlier, what is the evidence of the Bronze Age collapse? Uh, So typically people before would take a T5 model and try to teach it how to rewrite the conversation. Uh, But in this paper... Uh, what they do is that uh, they basically uh, use a uh, teacher, which is uh, a dense retriever uh, answer. Uh, and what they're trying to do um, is that they're trying to do knowledge distillation. So they try to, they feed to the student network the, uh, the entire conversation. And then they try to make the embedding of this conversation similar to what the resolved query would be.
0: Mhm And then this resolved query is uh, a manual, a manually created one. Yeah, so exactly. you only have as many uh, labeled
2: pairs as you as, as the dataset provides, so to speak. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. So uh, in each turn you would each turn, uh, you would have the conversation up to this turn. And then the resolved query, and you would try to make those embeddings identical. Mm-hmm. So it's something like pushing pushing the resolution
1: into the, the dense retrieval model, so that the representation you get out from the full history is the same representation you would get out if you had rewritten it perfectly yourself. Is, is yeah, this right? Exactly,
2: yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what,
0: uh, what 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 scale are we talking about in terms of? Um, how many
2: labeled pairs uh, we're working with? Uh-huh. So uh, the datasets are really small in yeah. general. Uh, so cast is about, I think, 200 queries, each of the data sets. So this is 200 turns, basically, mm-hmm. out of Yeah, 20. we have it in
1: table one, actually. Just yeah, so that. I guess 479 for cast 19 and about 200 for cast 20. Yeah. So in total, they're just under 700, I guess. That's, it's not a lot of data. It's very day. tiny. That, a few shot mm-hmm. is a fair way to describe that. I think. <laughs>
2: right. no. yeah. But uh, uh, actually, uh, there is another data set which is called Canard that pe- pe- people usually use uh, that has many more uh, questions uh, that are also rewritten. So this comes of out of conversational question answering. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think it has oh, something like 40,000 Questions.
0: Okay. Uh, but this is a, like a conversation turns data set,
2: not yeah, so retrieval. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. So the, the thing with this data set is that they only have uh, the questions. This is not an open domain, so you don't have relevance judgments for it, for the documents. You only have uh, this is the question, this is the conversation, and this is what. Uh, the self contained question would be in that there mm, okay. but you can still use that as a uh, uh workaround to get a good query representation i see so in, in this paper are they using this data yeah, so uh they are using this data I think in the cast twenty i see so it, it's um, something
1: like a lot of data for the task, and then within the specific cast domain it 's few shot is that a a fair comparison
2: um yeah okay. uh, I, I can't really say anything about the data efficiency, actually, uh, because it, it seems that it's working pretty well in CAS 19 already, yeah, yeah which was somewhat of an easier data set so far. Uh, but I think they're using the rewrites for CAS 20, so... Um, I yeah. see. But their point uh, with regards to the few shot is, I think that they are using knowledge from also from the dense retriever, from ANSE. So uh, the document representations are encoded already. Uh, So you already have some uh, knowledge from the ad hoc ranking uh, task where people have trained on MS Marco. So it's more uh, easy to learn the conversational part based on that. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. I mean, my my understanding was also that the in the teacher-student setup, you you don't um, like the amount of information that a single sample from the teacher provides to the student is way more um, like richer because it's not like only a, a binary label or something, but it's like a full embedding of 700 or something dimensions that the that student is trying to imitate, right?
1: Yeah, no, that's yeah. I think that's probably a good point, right? So instead of, you know, this should be uh, close to a 1 or close to a 0, you have, I think, 768 dimensions, and their loss is ensuring that every one of those dimensions is close to the mm-hmm. teacher. So I think it's a mean squared error loss, if I remember yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So the mean squared error between the teacher and student representations. So this is a lot more, I guess, meaningful. In- yeah,
2: informative. Yeah. yeah, I would say it's sort of an intermediate step also, right? So instead of trying to model the problem as directly, this is a conversation and this is the relevant document to it, you introduce a, uh, a simpler task, which is this is a conversation and this is how the query it should should look like and this is what the relevant document is. Mm-hmm. So for this, they, this is basically combined into two different losses. So one is the knowledge distillation loss, uh, mm-hmm. which is trying to make the conversation embedding, the blue one, uh, as close as possible to the human result embedding, the orange one. And then you also have a ranking loss, which is uh, trying also at the same time to bring the conversation embedding close to the documents that are relevant for that.
1: Right. And when they use the ranking loss, they're also changing document representations, if I follow correctly? Is- I
2: think so. I think so. I'm not sure about the details of that, but... uh, Maybe it's unclear.
1: At one point, I guess they have these two losses, and they use different combinations of them. So they don't end up using both of them when we look at the results later. Um, This knowledge distillation loss seems to be the the main ingredient.
0: Mm -hmm. No, That's very interesting, because it it is true that in the... um, Section, the, section three from method, methodology, it does seem like um, knowledge distillation and uh, the loss from the knowledge distillation and the loss from the rank are equally um, relevant or, or they use both, but in practice we see later that um, it, it, it can all even hurt right, to use um, a ranking loss um, as well in yeah. training the system. Um, that said, uh, you already hinted at some of these things, but can we recap on the datasets? So we have this trekcast cast 2019 and 2020, and this O-R-Quack, I don't know how you <laughs> <laughs> pronounce that.
2: We're not beginning. sure either, I think. <laughs> yeah, this is short for uh, Open Retrieval Quack, okay. so it was a conversational question answering dataset that people enriched with uh, more documents to make it more like open retrieval setting.
0: Oh, okay. Uh, so, what
2: what is the cast, um, data dataset? So, TrackCast is the conversational assistant track uh, that runs by Track, which is a uh,
1: um, uh, evaluation the, forum. I guess they yeah. they run different tracks every year.
2: Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, a typical uh, sample from it would be the one that we discussed earlier from Figure One. Uh, where you have a user asking questions to a system, retrieving relevant passages, and then continuing asking more related questions. And uh, so the annotations uh, in
0: in TrekCast are the conversation at turn K, then a rewritten query uh, by human that represents that, and then out of the documents, these 38 million documents, um relevance judgment for the top document
2: is that how it works yeah exactly
1: yeah i think more than the top right or for some
2: subset of documents. yeah they're not evaluated exhaustively obviously right. yeah, right. yeah yeah, yeah. but there's a bunch of
1: yeah there, there's more than one relevant and then i guess mm-hmm. there's also
2: a single
1: canonical answer in in later years of cast
2: yeah right right mm-hmm. to to be able to continue the conversation basically okay.
1: and
0: uh i think we've mentioned this once before but treg uh How it works uh, is that every year they create like a new version of their data set and that's like researchers are, are blind to that and they can submit methods to it or is it that you get that data and you can run your experiments on it or...
1: So it's the former, actually they choose what to evaluate, so which documents to judge for relevance based on the researcher's participation. So everyone gets the queries in some documents, but then everyone submits their systems and they can do some analysis of the documents everyone found. So you know, you see that three people return this one document for Bronze Age collapse. So this is an important document to judge. It was returned by those three at a top rank, mm-hmm. right? Whereas a document at a bottom rank returned by one system probably won't get judged. Their their judgment budget, you know, probably doesn't reach there. So it's like a you know cooperation in the sense of building good systems such that we can find good documents to judge okay. kind
0: of. and then they publish the data based on that that you yes, can
1: reuse exactly yeah
0: okay, yeah. okay, okay. I think that's uh, clear um and yeah like 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 we said before the scale of these documents uh these data sets uh, you can see in table one is pretty small right we have 50 conversations uh, in cast 19, 25 conversations in CAS 20, um, yeah, the number of questions is in, in the order of 500, 200, something like that. So it's, uh, yeah, the few-shot setting, like Andrew said, uh, really applies here. Um, and then we have this OR, uh, open, um, what do you say again? Open retrieval. Open retrieval um, quad. Uh, You said, is a a dataset that was augmented by people? Can you uh, recap that?
2: Yeah, so uh, basically Quack uh, is a conversational question answering dataset. So uh, in this setting, people do not care that much about finding the correct document, uh, but they care about retrieving an answer span. So retrieving an exact answer. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the way it used to be was that... uh, One conversation was uh, regarding a Wikipedia entity, a Wikipedia page. So there were different questions being asked on that. Uh, And the systems had to uh, retrieve, uh, sorry, to return uh, one or more uh, spans that satisfied that were uh, returned the correct answer. So the focus was more on uh, what people in question answering call the reader, so finding the correct uh, answer span rather than looking through the entire collection of documents and finding relevant documents. Mm-hmm. So those can also be combined, if you, uh, uh, as you can imagine, uh, because ideally you want a system that you don't necessarily uh, want to answer questions based on one specific document. Uh, you want to ask open-ended questions and be able to fetch the correct document and then get the answer. So okay. this is also kind of the difference between the question answering and the passage retrieval conversational question answering the conversational mm-hmm. passage retrieval I see. part
0: but what so what and they do in in this document in in this dataset is they repurpose this by by right. like extracting passages where the answer is or, or something like that or
2: yeah, so uh, the relevant passage is uh, the passage that is known to be relevant from the previous Quack dataset, mm-hmm. and then they enrich it with more passages so that they uh, can make it uh, open domain, basically.
0: You, you mean like with negative passages? Yeah,
2: yeah exactly. Okay. Exactly. And it, it has a bit of a shortcoming or limitation, if I might say, because... Um, in this case, uh, all of the conversation, all of the questions in the conversation refer to one specific...
0: Mm, uh, like the Wikipedia passage, article
2: yeah, or something? Uh, uh, yeah. Passage or document, actually. Okay. Document. Yeah. So it's it's a bit more easy for the system to cheat in that mm, yeah. Uh,
0: sense. Huh. So, yeah, yeah, I see
1: what you mean. There, there's like a very strong...
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah,
1: so I mean, even if you did nothing to the query, I feel like you could still do well then, right? Because it, no matter which query you pick, it should be the same document? Is is that a um, fair assessment or maybe it's <laughs> becoming complicated?
2: Yeah, maybe, uh, I'm not sure actually, it kind of depends, I'm not sure on the details because maybe the document is split into passages anyway, so you still have to uh, get the correct passage. I see. Uh, but those are very much related, and if they come out of a single Wikipedia article, and then you have Bert or T5 pre-trained on Wikipedia, then it starts to get a little bit. Uh, uh,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a lot of information can be leaked. Uh, yeah, uh, throughout exactly. Parts yeah. of the model in in sneaky ways or something. Yeah. Um. Okay. And uh, yeah, as you as you can see in table uh, one, the good part about a uh, good side about this model, or one of the Good size is that it's um, substantially bigger than the other ones. Uh, the train set contains four thousand three hundred four hundred conversations, more or less, um, right? Um, although in 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 terms of like in other contexts, that's not that
1: many labels. No, like it's small, I guess, compared to MS Marco. But comparing these data sets, it, it's a good amount. Yeah, mm-hmm.
2: yeah, it's a hundred times bigger. I would say, right? Uh, compared to cost. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Um, okay, so I think that then we can jump into the, discussing some of the results. Maybe you can uh, briefly mention the metrics that they use. MRR, NDCG, whole at 10, which is something that I hadn't seen before. What are these uh, metrics um, that they use? So let's start with mean reciprocal rank.
1: So this is uh, 1 over the rank of the correct document. So you kind of assume there's only one result. So if it's at position 2, it's 1 over 2, 0.5 is your MRR. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, we've talked about this. I think it's uh, pretty
0: clear. Uh, In terms of uh, favoring recall precision kind of thing, um, where does MRR sort of fall? Or does that make any sense?
1: Um, well, it's, you're not going to get much credit for anything that's very far down the ranked list. So even at, I don't know, position 20, you're only adding point zero five. So I guess you're favoring position in, in some sense, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very focused on getting something in a top ranking, I suppose. So like the, the type of scores they report, you know, point six, point five, point seven. this is very close to the top of the list, if not at the top.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Because the second, if you get a relevant passage in the second, uh, uh, spot, it would be 0.5, right? Right. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah,
1: plus this is, we're also only looking at one document, so maybe that's a better explanation. It's not recall-focused, because no matter what, we only care about one document. Positions 1 in 10 versus 1 in 1,000 have the same mm-hmm. score.
0: Yeah, I guess my question came a little bit from... Uh, you said before that this passage retrieval task uh, is a little bit analog to the... Um, In in a question answering uh, system, you have the retriever and the reader, and this would be sort of equivalent to the retriever, right? Um, And I think we've talked before in the retriever part of a system, it's more important to have the relevant document somewhere within the top uh, 20 or like you don't really care that much if it's top one as long as it's there, because then uh, a reader might be able to re-rank it to the top or something like that. Um, so I thought it, it, it's interesting to um, look at what metrics they provide in in terms of like do they make sense in this setting or not? Because I'm a bit positive. I mean, I feel like metrics in information retrieval uh, there's so many to choose from. <laughs> so pay
1: a lot. Places where you can cut off
0: and it's, it's kind of I mean it seems a bit arbitrary sometimes to me.
1: I think the task here is not exactly the same as what you would always do with a reader-retriever. That may be part of it. So if you have like re- um retriever-reader, you expect like a really concise answer to the question, like what year was Amsterdam founded some year? Or, you know, like a very concise answer. Um, so, there, but there are types of questions where you just wouldn't expect it to be so concise. So this example about the Bronze Age collapse, I'm not a historian, obviously, but I suspect you can't give a single year for that. I think it's probably old enough that there are different ways you can look at it and you can say, you know, it was over this period of time and we know these for this reasons. So kind of the flavor of the information need is often different also. So here, the way I look at it at least is, where we're looking at questions that are really hard to answer succinctly. Like you would expect a few sentences in order to have a really good understanding of the answer. You could give us just a one year for the Bronze Age collapse, but this it misses all this historical nuance about you know it, it's not so simple as this year it happened.
2: Mm. Um, is, is this a fair? I think it also has to do with the fact that the 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 return thing from the reader or the um, um, or the. Retriever is different, right? So in the reader you typically get a span. So people usually use uh, exact match or F1 or something like that to evaluate mm-hmm. it. Whereas, uh, yeah, this is more like a retrieval setting where you care about uh, NDCG or. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you could you could argue that you would, you care about the first place only, especially if you have an assistant that is not going to tell you, okay, this is the the ten. Passages that I found. Right. (laughs) But yeah, I think for the interest of, uh, you know, seeing how much progress we make, uh, you might want to look at things like NDCG at three. Yeah, okay. So uh, what is NDCG uh, at three? So it's uh, basically looking at the three top positions and um, it assumes that. the probability, I think, that uh, the user would start looking at the lower positions is lower. So, if you get a correct hit at the first one, you get 1 or 0.8, I think. And then, as you go lower, um, you get. Uh, so, if the first and the second uh, passages are correct, you get 0.8 plus uh, 0. Point something else. Yeah.
1: So I think DCG's um, discounted cumulative gain. So the idea is you lose a lot as you move down the ranked list. So it's way better to have that document at position one and two than one and three. So that the score of relevant documents at one and two will be much higher than the score of placing them at one and three. Even though it's just a single position, okay. so so there's the user model is like there's really heavy discounting. You're really unhappy to keep. Yeah, going so, through. so so
0: in, in some sense you're trying to sort of uh, include the psychology of a human that might be using this system to sort of yeah that or
1: yeah. I mean behind most of these metrics is some type of user model or, or an idea of a user model. Yeah, so the user model here is the the user just cannot read very far. I mean, this is even common for web search, right? You may look at the first 10, but basically no one is going to go to the second page. Event, <laughs> yeah.
0: There's right? So, there. yeah. If you want to hide something, you hide it in the <laughs> second page. of Google. <laughs>
1: Exactly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Um okay and then we have finally these holes at ten, which actually I would never seen before mentioned. What what is
1: this? Um, this thing? is also sometimes called judged at ten. Um I think that may be slightly more common in the past. Hole at ten is appearing more. <laughs> but it, it's kind of um how m- much uncertainty is in the top ten documents. So if all of the top ten documents had been judged, your hole at ten I think would be zero, your judged at ten would be one. If half are judged, you know it's it's 0.5. So it gives you some notion of how reliable these metrics are. Um,
0: that, that's super interesting because I mean, the first uh, episode we talked about this MS Marco, the yeah. scarcity of labels, and how that might affect. And I feel it's, uh, um, yeah, it, it's often not reported, and it, it gives, like you said, a lot of information about the uncertainty of, of that. Because a lot of the well, a lot of the non-judged documents might be relevant. Um, yeah, and that's.
2: Yeah, and this is basically the uh, the issue to some extent that uh, track competitions try to solve, that uh, because you cannot evaluate everything, you have people submitting their best systems, uh, but obviously as new methods come in, you might argue that they have uh, brought documents that. All their methods, like their matching methods, wouldn't be able to find, so you're not sure if some of them are actually correct or not.
0: Mm-hmm. So you have more density of uh, annotations. trade you, like, you trade off, um, you trade off uh, the, the scale of the um, uh, labeled pairs by the how like densely each query or each conversation is annotated in Trek. Is that correct
1: um if, if by density you mean I guess how how well you can identify what documents to judge for the query something like that
0: well uh, sorry I meant more like uh, how many documents are how many re- documents are labeled for relevance per query
1: uh, right right so yeah I, I guess the goal is to try to label those at top positions mm-hmm. from the participants because you know as you see from the metrics you know NDCG at three it's okay if position 20 is not labeled but we want to have a a lot of best guesses, I guess, from participants to yeah. yeah. try to label yeah. those. So, yeah.
0: um, okay, I think we can jump to the table too. So this is a really big table, there's a lot of numbers as we were discussing offline. Um, so maybe can you help us, well, can you first describe what the, um, what the rows and columns of this table are and maybe you know, highlight some few parts where we can right. see
2: interesting things happening so there's like three data sets as we said uh, and you have different evaluation metrics uh, those are the columns and then you have a set of ba- public baselines which are basically systems that people ha- uh, have submitted in the cast competition um, and uh, what's interesting about them is that it's not very clear to say it's there mostly for reference because it's not very fair to compare to each other because each of them uses a different uh, first retriever, reranker, query resolver. So it's not entirely clear what's best, if I may say here. Mm -hmm. Um, Then you have the first stage retrieval only, uh, where you only do the first stage retrieval. Uh, And you have BM25, uh, ANSE, uh, and CONVDR. So maybe
1: we should mm-hmm. look into these for a second? Yeah. yeah so, so we have kind of... So we have the raw query, the query with rewriting, and then ComDR, which is some, you know, the, the student-teacher approach.
2: Mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah. So what we see here is uh, they're always basically just the last term, uh, and we see uh, that the methods... Uh, The query writer methods and the uh, ConvDR method clearly outperform this. Um, And then it's interesting to compare, I think, ConvDR with Anse Query Writer. Mm -hmm. So this is a system that is using uh, a previous sequence-to-sequence rewriter. Mm -hmm. Uh, And yeah, what's interesting is that you basically compare this pipeline approach. With a previous uh, rewriter uh, with ConvDR, which is basically constructing the embedding directly. And what we see is that uh, it works better, ConvDR, compared to that.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, a pretty large improvement across metrics and uh, all three data sets, I guess. So Yeah, uh, yeah absolutely. Right? And this would have been the best prior to ConvDR, right? The normal thing to do would be something like a T5 query rewriter. So it's a clear improvement over.
2: Yeah, over that. yeah. I'm not sure if it's the best query writer there is out there, oh, but yeah, uh, I see. It's uh, the most fair because both are using ANSE in the end of the day. Um, ah, I see. I see. So if you look at the Quaterloo run, this is a much more complex system that is using hybrid dense and sparse retrieval, plus t five re-ranking. So it's not really fair to compare. Uh, those two systems
1: right and this Waterloo Run is better than ComDR but there's a lot going on here I guess is the point
2: right exactly yeah Uh, and yeah another thing that we can see is that the dense retriever performs better compared to BM25 Uh, (laughs) this is both for the with the query writing or the uh, Mm -hmm. raw query
0: yeah Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I I guess one of the things that is interesting to reflect a bit on is um, how sort of quote unquote, fair are all of these comparisons as in, uh, you know, BM25 raw, ANSI raw. um, Could you optimize these other models more uh, so that they performed more competitively with Comp VR or, um,
1: I, I yeah I don't M- know if... maybe somehow but it seems like there's no unfairness that's obvious right? It's...
2: Yeah. So is is your point regarding like hyperparameter tuning or something like that? Yeah. All of this. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Uh... I would, ima- I wouldn't. I don't know to what extent they did like very extensive hyperparameter tuning, but you can imagine that. Um, yeah, this is this is actually why I like comparing Anset to ConVDR because it's the same retriever. Yeah, yeah. So, and I think the main novelty of the paper is the knowledge distillation approach.
0: Yeah. So, so, so you basically saying that the most important part of this um, table
2: is the first stage retrieval only. Bit? I think so, and uh, yeah, because you, if you only if you want to look at the raw results, imagine having the query. Uh, what's the evidence of it? You're not going to get good results anyway, right? No matter what hyperparameter tuning you do, I think mm-hmm. if you don't have a query writer.
0: Yeah, and in terms of the um, adding a re-ranker on top of these or the manual.
2: Um, Uh, Reference, what is interesting? I think before we go there, it's interesting to compare also ConvDR with the ANSE manual for the manual for reference. So, this is basically an oracle where they have a human to rewrite the query. So, this indicates some sort of upper bound on the performance of ConvDR, and that's really interesting.
0: Yeah, sort of. It's it's like the student cannot.
2: Overtake the teacher, or it would be weird. Yeah, <laughs> actually, 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 this it happens, happens actually. on cast nineteen. <laughs> oh, wait. If you uh, look at it, yeah. yeah. And seeing cast nineteen, yeah. So Comdr performance yeah. is pretty much the same as Ants Manuel Uh
0: huh. Um, That's interesting.
1: Yeah. yeah. And then cast twenty, it's a bit uh, Comdr is a bit worse than Ants Manuel right? But it, it's not so far. Um, yeah. <laughs> But in principle,
0: it should be some sort of upper bound, right? Because right, it's only, yeah, exactly. uh, yeah,
2: Yeah. And this also shows us a bit that CAS 19 was a bit easier, quite easier maybe than the later uh, versions of the data set. Yeah.
1: And then I guess if we look at OR quack, this totally breaks R. a student can't outperform the teacher theory, but right. this is probably yeah. because of that issue we were talking it, about with the passages. It
2: could be, yeah. Right,
1: so here COMDR is actually substantially better than the Ants manual. But, but again, <laughs> we know yes. that all the queries refer to the same document, so maybe this can be used, like yeah, you saying yeah.
2: So basically, you have more chances of getting an easy query out of the entire conversation, yeah. <laughs> which you can find, right? Yeah.
0: That's a very interesting point, yeah. I, I, I had missed <laughs> I that. Um, it,
2: that. It clearly yeah. outperforms the
1: yeah, but but this is not such a fair setting, right? So I I think the principle of you don't expect the student to outperform the teacher is pretty fair.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that 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 sort of speaks to what Antony's mentioned before about the, the potential weaknesses of this
2: data set. Yeah. Right? On the other hand, though, uh, I think there Yeah, you wouldn't expect it to outperform it, because you wouldn't expect it to perform perfectly. But then, I might argue that. If you have a conversation that um, the terms are pretty relevant to each other, yeah, yeah. it might be the case that uh, it's easier to find something relevant, right? So if you have a big semantic mismatch between the query and the document, and then in the previous turns you have some more relevant stuff to the topic, it might be easier to look at the entire conversation and get a good passage than only the last query, even if it's rewritten, right? So that, that's an interesting also characteristic, I think, of conversational search.
0: Yeah, I'm guessing. It, I mean, if I understand correctly what you're saying, if the um, if ComVR is initialized from a pre-trained language model, it already incorporates a lot of, uh, or intuitively should incorporate a lot of, kind of knowledge in how uh, you know things should combine or something. So maybe that could. Um, uh, sort of leak into and improve the performance of the CompDR versus ANSI. Is, is that sort of in the same line
2: of what you're saying, or or not uh, really? Kind of. So my my point is that uh, imagine you have two settings. What one is that you have the um, the query. What is the evidence of the Bronze Age collapse? And then you have an entire conversation uh, that is talking about Bronze Age collapse. And then you're trying to model your information need based on that. So my point is that I could imagine a scenario where having access to the conversation would help to alleviate this mismatch between the query and the document. Yeah. So so if you have
1: like a conversation that's always getting more specific somehow. Like you start with a very yeah. big topic and every time you ask a question it's zeroing in a bit more on a specific part of that topic. So here, for example, is what you're thinking of, right? Where it, it could yeah. help because you know, if you go back to previous queries, it's just other related terms that you're making more yeah. specific. Yeah. yeah.
2: Exactly. It's not clear that this would happen because if the topic goes somewhere else then it's uh, harder to run with the conversation, right? Yeah, But yeah. It's, uh, it's an interesting characteristic of conversational search, I would say. Yeah, <laughs> and, and it, did it in Cast Twenty? They made these a bit more complicated,
1: the trajectories, or maybe I'm thinking of a later year. Um, but for example, changing topic in the middle of the conversation—does does this ever happen in the data?
2: Uh, I think that there are more topics topic switches if you might uh, call them in CAS20 Mm -hmm. and another thing is that uh, you also had this uh, canonical passage so the user uh, typically most of the systems were including the passage in the query so the conversation would also have the last retrieved passage Mm -hmm. so this complicates things a bit more because you have a bigger length of the query and stuff like that so it is definitely a more complex task as we go forward.
0: Um, okay. But in terms of general gist of it, we see that ConvDR clearly outperforms all other first stage retriever baselines by a large margin. Yep. And that uh, it's hard to say that that said at the, at the time it was probably at least it, it set it apart clearly. Um, from the rest of them, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and it even performs really well compared to the Oracle query rewrite. So mm-hmm. it, not only it's better, but it's quite close to the, you know, something like an upper bound.
0: Okay, so is there anything interesting that we can say about uh, the next part of the table where they include the re-ranker st- uh, step to the to the system?
1: Um, well, of course, you know the metrics go up because they're using a cross encoder re-ranker on top of the dense retrieval. This generally helps. Um, it helps more, you know, using their teacher distillation approach than it does giving the the re-ranker um, a rewritten query.
0: So, actually, something that I don't quite understand is this re-ranker trained only on the cast data, or Is it an off-the-shelf free-ranker that they grab from somewhere else?
1: Um, So I think they say they train it on MS Marco and uh, the Uh. quack with manually reformulated queries. I'm not entirely sure what they mean by manually reformulated. And honestly, I'm not sure also how they're applying the distillation here, because the the output of um, a cross encoder is a single vector from which you would predict a relevance score. So I, I don't know that you would take that vector and use mean squared error distillation to try to make it look like the query representation. This it's yeah, odd so to the, me. The, yeah, so
0: that doesn't make sense to to it, apply it, it, knowledge distillation. No, to this, the,
1: but but yeah. they they talk later. There's a table where they look at knowledge distillation with the BERT ranker. So they are doing something here, I think, some kind of distillation. But I, I don't know exactly how they're formulating it.
0: Mm-hmm. But I I think you I mean. They definitely um, do MS Marco. Yeah,
1: yeah. They on, definitely train yeah. it on MS Marco, okay. and it's so a Bert Rinker. Yeah.
0: Okay, 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 okay. Um, yeah, and I think that we've covered most of the things in table two. But like you said, I think it's interesting if we can quickly comment on the ablation on different losses because we see some interesting, uh, unexpected phenomena there. So if we go to table four, we see these. Um, different results using different training paradigms. Uh,
2: So can you maybe uh, describe that um, and talk about it? So what we see in CAST, uh, so uh, here uh, they have four settings. One is zero shot, which I believe is uh, taking the last query only and ignoring the conversation, the knowledge distillation loss, Mm -hmm. uh, which is trying to mimic the human embeddings. Uh, the ranking loss, which is trying to l- learn from relevance labels, and the multitask scenario, which is combined. So what we see is that in CAST 2019, uh, knowledge distillation works best. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the ranking loss fails quite hard. Uh, it's even worse than is just ignoring the entire conversation. Now, this could be... I would hypothesize this is because of the very few training examples. Makes sense. Uh, which is in general, a problem in conversational search. Yeah.
1: And and like we said earlier, the knowledge distillation loss is more informative than the relevance loss, um, I guess. So maybe it can better use yeah. the training. Yeah, right.
0: I mean, it seems reasonable that you wouldn't learn a good model only by uh, a few dozen ranking
1: yeah. labels, right? Yeah. I, I mean, they're initializing it from the ANT's checkpoint, but the difference between the, that checkpoint from MS Marco and, and this conversational data, I guess, is large enough mm-hmm. that something good doesn't happen if you start from there and just train with a ranking loss for a limited time.
0: Um, and then we, we see something a bit different for the... Um, Uh, For the Quack dataset, I'm guessing because we're working with more labels uh, here, so the ranking loss does perform uh, better, right? Right, yeah.
1: Yeah, So, so in the previous table, I believe for Quack, they used both, the combination of the losses, and then of course only the knowledge distillation for cast.
0: Yeah. So yes. Yeah, so these, I guess a good clarification. All the results that we were talking about before, uh, from the first stage retrieval only, all of those were trained uh, on the on the knowledge distillation task uh, only. So no ranking, um, uh, no ranking loss used. Yeah,
2: that's a good point.
0: Um, all right. So very quickly, uh, can we comment on the speed of this thing? Compared to other um, to other methods, because one of the arguments that they kind of try to sell, so to speak, is that this is faster than rewriting a query, right? Encoding mm-hmm. it directly.
2: Yeah. So the 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 one of the motivations of the paper is that we do everything in one step, and we can see the results of that here. So if we look at Table three at the uh, ConvDR total. Um, it's even lower than BM25 retrieval. Um, mm,
0: yes,
1: I
2: see
1: yeah. and, and, <coughs> and also lower than the query rewriter, I was going to say. But yeah. I, I think I'm stealing yeah. your thunder, sorry.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no worries, no worries. Yeah, so it makes sense if you have to use two modules, then you also have to wait for the rewriter to finish. So you take the query and then do ranking. And that's mm-hmm. not uh, yeah. happening in Qatar. I mean, R. that
0: makes a lot of sense. I don't know if there's anything else that you want to comment on um, this table. There's the batched um, There's a batched, uh, um numbers yeah. that it's uh, we we're discussing before is a bit unclear. I guess how they calculate that, right?
2: Yeah. So. Uh My guess, I'm not entirely sure, is that they batch many queries together, and then they divide the total time with the number of queries, which is not entirely fair or Mm. meaningful because you typically care about uh, how how long before your user would be able to see the result. Users normally Uh, don't batch queries (laughs) but I'm (laughs) I'm going to maybe you can so show 512 results to him. He's
0: confused.
2: <laughs> Just accumulate all, everything you want to search in a month and
0: then fire all of them <laughs> right. at the same time.
2: Yeah, um, so latency is basically what you care about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. This doesn't fully reflect it.
0: Um, good, good. Um, um, okay, yeah, I, I mean, I think at the last... that you mentioned before you wanted to comment on about these results? Is this qualitative um, results on figure four? Or is there anything else that you want to comment on before?
2: Yeah, I think this is a good, uh, a nice figure to see. So what we see in figure four B is uh, the visualization of uh, three different uh, queries with the triangles. Uh, the relevant documents and the irrelevant documents mm-hmm. um, so sorry so you see a um a tsne
0: representation which is like a lower dimensional kind of representation of this embedding space that's qualitatively interesting
2: yeah exactly and what's important here is that the retrieval the retrieval happens with uh approximate nearest neighbor search so uh, in the end of the day, what we want to do is to bring the queries close to the documents in this space, right? The relevant um, ones. Yeah, the yeah. relevant ones. The, the orange one. And what we see is that uh, 0s is the zero shot, which is just using the last query. It's much closer to the green dots, the relevant documents. Uh, then the knowledge distillation is the uh, ConvDR method, basically. Um which is very close to the manual query, which is the oracle mm-hmm. That's very interesting that basically shows that uh, you can you can do this in the dense space right you can bring those two together uh and we also have a comparison the query rewriter, which is a bit lower um mm-hmm. in this space
0: no it seems to indicate that at least qualitatively this intuition that uh um, the, te- the teacher-student setup is very effective at very quickly with very few samples learning um, to imitate this embedding space, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anything else that you want to comment on before we uh, jump into like, uh, some last broader remarks or questions?
1: Uh, not on my end. I think that's it for the results. For
0: me. OK, yeah. So I guess that uh, something uh, that maybe you can give a couple of pointers on is this was from May 2021. Um, is there any other work that has built on these, or has this sort of become a more standard technique in the space of conversational search where uh, more people do this by default? Of-
2: Yeah. So I think in CAS 2021, this was included as a baseline, uh, uh, which shows also the significance of the paper. And there has been, I don't think there's any paper that directly builds on that, but there is another paper uh, by the Waterloo University, I think, that um, tries to do uh, something very similar. So basically take the the, the main idea is, again, take the conversation and uh, project it into a dense space. So they try to do the same thing, but instead of using uh, the query rights to bring the conversation close to the query rights, they generate pseudo-relevance documents Mm. from large collections uh, to try to uh, learn how to bring the conversation close to the pseudo-relevant documents. So it's basically skipping this intermediate step um, of trying to model the embedding of the resolution
0: mm-hmm. to
2: generating uh, weak supervision data to do the same thing, sort of.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, the the paper is called uh, "Contextualized Query Embeddings for for Conversational Search." From uh, uh, Waterloo, you said, I guess Jimmy Lin's group. Yeah, I think yeah, I think yeah. Jimmy is also in this paper. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's an interesting follow up okay.
0: um, yeah so I mean in a in a broader sense, I guess um, this paper sort of goes in the direction of making the conversational search more end to end as in it uh, removes one explicit step of rewriting the the query um, so my question is in a broad sense, do you guys see? the um, the space of conversational search going more end-to-end? Or like do you still see space for um I mean I guess this fits a bit more into the space of conversational AI because I've I've seen some works that kind of have like chatbots type of thing that have language model and then interact with modules. Um, so in my mind it's like this modular system. So I guess the question is, do you think end-to-end is going to eat all of the pie, or is there still going to be space for modular types of systems where you know you did these explicit things of uh, rewriting and... You want to answer? <laughs> yeah, so I'll,
1: I'll start. Sure. Um, I guess one thing we see in the paper is that they're better than the query rewriter, right? So even if you try to train a query rewriter from similar data, it, it doesn't work as well. So from that perspective, it, it seems like in this scenario, there's no reason not to do the query rewriting end to end. right? Assuming I'm not you know, missing some other baseline and assuming their query works reasonably and, all, and so on. So I mean, that's a big advantage I see, right? Um, you can do it end to end and you can do it better than if you had this separate rewriter model. Um, At least, you know, using the the model they have here. Maybe there's an improved one later. But I mean there are also downsides to this, right? So you don't know exactly what's happening with the query. You know I guess the query representation has changed in some way, but I I suppose there's no way to know if that part um, of the pipeline is failing versus the the usage of the representation. And I guess calling it that part of the pipeline is a bit odd because it is end to end, right? But you can imagine the model making a mistake as far as what document it, it matches or making a mistake as far as what query representation it creates. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess without components, it's a bit harder to know what's happening here.
2: Yeah. Um, um. Yeah, I think uh, that's. Uh, I, I agree with you, and um, uh, it's it's hard to say. I mean, using both would probably be the best, uh, but then you obviously end up having huge systems uh, that are uh, that are hard to manage, train, and so on and so forth. I think an interesting part is um, um, finding somehow alternative ways to train things, uh, such as this one. Uh, and if you can incorporate it in an end-to-end method, then that's great uh, because you avoid all of the complications of latencies with the query writers and so on and so forth. Uh, so, yeah, I could also see an end-to-end future here, but uh, it's, um, it's challenging to, to to say whether and how to make this work uh, so robustly. Mm-hmm. and uh, But I think this this paper is a very good uh, first step towards that direction. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so another uh, thing that was on my mind is I kind of intuitively very much understand and I agree on why conversational search is very relevant and very important in information retrieval. As in um, the ideal scenario, if I want to learn something or get one inf- some information would be to get some human expert and then ask uh, to them and they will probably ask some question back or give some evidence and then I will ask upon that and then you know you cl- you refine your information need and a conversation seems intuitively to me a very natural way to uh, ask for. Uh, complex information. However, it seems to me that in uh, no, out there, there's not that many conversational or, or commercial um, conversational search systems. Or at least I don't encounter them a lot. Most of them is just like a query box, and and then you're on your own. Uh, so, do you guys think this is gonna something that is gonna change as conversational search improves, or is it, is it still gonna remain a niche? Um, uh, in in search in, in the
2: kind of more broader you know, sense, so I think that uh, one of the issues here is that um, the I would say that even this data set, although it's a very good uh, progress, it's still a bit static, right? So you don't have real interactions. Uh, It's based on offline evaluation. Uh, You don't really... You have a sequence of questions that need to be answered that are close to each other, and you try to uh, solve the language understanding part on the conversation, but you don't have that much, uh, for instance, mixed initiatives, so the system asking a clarification question. And this could go in many different ways and can become as complex as you want, right? Uh, so I think we're quite far away from that. Uh, but uh, I think this is a really important first step because we're talking about retrieval and search, so you have to somehow uh, ground your knowledge into documents. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's that's an important okay. first step. Yeah. And I, I guess thinking about... Um
1: you know whether this becomes popular or how common conversational search becomes the user behavior matters a lot like i would never go to google and you know type in what is the evidence for that right maybe it <laughs> makes total sense with my last query but the user behavior's got to change before you even have an opportunity to do something like this yeah. so so i don't remember the specific blog post but i've read google blog posts where they give the sense that they're trying to move in this direction slowly like to allow a bit more complicated interactions i assume you know they they're able to collect a lot of data from this and then you know this may allows them to make them a bit more complicated so, so I think this issue of having data and even if you're a company you may still not have data here because that's not how people have been trained to use search
0: that's a, that's a I think super right. interesting point about like the how like users expect you know uh, search engines to work in a certain way or, or right so you probably need a very slow shift or some um, like you said, probably if, if uh, today uh, Google started being conversational uh, search and it actually took into account all of the <laughs> uh, people, would not change their behaviors
1: overnight. Uh, no, it would probably, probably make it worse because it would be using context <laughs> that I wasn't aware was serving as context. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right.
0: But in that sense, do you think, I mean, you kind of answered that question. So you, you think that, for instance, in web search, commercial web search, uh, it's going to move in this direction of Like, the default mode is going to be you start a quote-unquote conversation session uh, with a,
1: you know? Yeah, for web search, I don't know specifically. But if you think of like a, you know, Siri or some sort of conversational agent, something where the UI is slightly different, I I think that direction is is likely. Um,
2: Yeah, something like that would make more sense to me uh, also. There was another, uh, there was a feature in Bing search actually where they were, um, I mean, those are kind of type of interactive search scenarios, right? So even if if you go to Google, then you can see follow up questions yeah. that you can. Uh, uh, that's
0: a very yeah, yeah. It's a good point. It uh, is some sort so of conversational, like guided conversational search, almost, right?
2: Yeah, it's more interactive search. So oh, say, right? Uh, or there was another feature in Bing Search, which is uh, was that uh, you were getting like. Clarifications, sort of clarifications uh, on the results. Uh, so you would type shoes, and then you would get men's shoes or women's shoes, and you would click on it and go to a different query. Uh, but I think uh, also that yeah, the most in, the most uh, obvious use case for that is uh, speech uh, devices. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, it's it's also the fact that people, as you said. Uh, assume they they know how to use, and it's a bit unnatural to start chatting with the search engine. Yeah, I, I mean the UI would have to change so that you're aware of what
1: context you're bringing yeah, in. I guess yeah. this is what's nice about conversation. You don't expect to come back in thirty minutes and say what is it and have yeah, that be yeah. meaningful, right? There's exactly. it's clear what the context is. Yeah,
0: yeah. I guess if I if I can include a little rant, you mentioned the assistance stuff. Um, I don't. I don't know how how this um, is developed, but I'm. O- I've been always surprised at how little uh, uh, context Siri, for instance, used. I I, I happen to use an iPhone, and I don't know if they already changed it because I stopped trying <laughs> to ask contextual questions about the previous interaction. But um, it seems to me that they are still uh, not doing that, which makes me think that it, there must be a pretty. Uh, hard technological challenge there or something like that. But then I see some some of these works and uh, it doesn't seem like it should be that hard. But, I mean, I guess what I'm trying to say is um, my experience with conversational assistance uh, has been pretty frustrating. And my impression is that most people are, uh, have a similar uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> opinion on, uh, uh, like, or a similar sense on that. Um, do you have any insight on why why these things are so hard to make work in the real world so or, or you know in
1: Yeah, uh, to me, maybe part of it is that some of the context can be personalization. Like, I say the same thing every morning to my conversational agent, and 40% of the time it plays Ed Sheeran, which is not what I was asking for. (laughs) And it's literally one of the three things I ever say to it. But it always gets it wrong, because there's no personalization, I think. And this is a separate, I think, hard problem because of the conversation. So there's that type of context. But then I guess there's issues of just effectively using whatever context is available, like in this paper. Um, And I guess that's still unsolved.
2: Yeah, and I think it's, uh, if you try to think at the number of problems that uh, maybe the assistants are trying to solve, uh, it's a bit all over the place. So you might ask for an alarm, then you might ask a conversational question from the web. So I'm not sure how those would look like in practice, but uh, I think there's many, yeah, many challenges there to be solved.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It definitely seems uh, like um, a space that needs a lot of exploration still. So uh.
1: Yeah, and the privacy, right? I don't know how much of real data can be used. I, I, I don't know exactly what they're doing, but there are obviously privacy issues here that come up more than in some domains.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, I don't know. Do you guys want to, is there anything else that you want to discuss before we uh, close off? More in specific to the paper, more in general, on where do you see this, um, this subfield of information retrieval going? Um, um, for instance, is there any um, is there any evaluation or data set initiative that you're kind of hopeful about or kind of that you think is gonna bring? Interesting advancements to the table, or
1: I mean, I think the CAST track has been doing really good work, and it's continuing. So I, you know, I like to see how results change for this from year to year. Um, maybe do you know yeah. of anything, any new initiatives, or
2: uh, yeah, no, the the other interesting part with cast datasets is that they're trying to include more characteristics of the conversations to make them more, um, uh, more natural. So including feedback or some sort of personalization. Uh, and this kind of stuff, uh, but still the the context of uh, offline evaluation is still a little bit limiting, and this is why some people are also trying to leverage simulations because you can imagine also that um, even if you had uh, access to a user base, uh, you have to first build a somewhat good system to uh, be able to roll it out and then do A-B tests or whatever you want. Otherwise, your users will just go away, right? right. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's uh, that's, I think, a big challenge for conversational search. Yeah. So moving away from the static. Uh,
0: yeah, and I guess that it, it also, uh, I'm guessing it has a danger of further dividing the industry and academic uh, sort of efforts, right? Because I'm guessing, for instance, in this case, uh, some of the big uh, search players of like being Google, and they they can do a lot of A-B testing and they can maybe have a user base where they could potentially have some prototype of conversational search and a lot of click data and, and online evaluation. Um, whereas in academia, this is probably harder to set up. Do you think there's like some some way in which these things could converge? Uh, you know, like, Um, between in in web search for instance or in other commercial
2: yeah so I think the simulations are a good starting point because uh, academia can also uh, use them and the fact that even Google is not going to just deploy out in the wild a system that doesn't know what it does kind of brings us closer together but of course I wouldn't say that uh, academia and industry have the same sort of resources. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also if you look at data annotations, and uh, another challenging fact here is that um, typically if you look at MS Marco and how it was uh, anonymized, I think it's very hard to release an anonymized uh, conversational data set. Uh, So that makes it a bit more challenging. Yeah, I, I mean, you. I guess it's
1: only capable of making it anonymous if the query appears many times. Yeah. And as you go deeper into the conversation, there's less chance of that happening, essentially, right? right? right. So yeah. <laughs> I guess you're stuck with the most basic questions, possibly. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. so is, is your point that in a, if there were already a lot of privacy issues with MS Marco, with conversational search, the chances that you're going to... Uh, that a user is going to be identifiable by a conversation are much higher than um, for single queries?
2: Uh, yeah, for conversational queries, it's much more... Uh, the, the trajectories
1: are at least much more unique, I guess we yeah, can say that. Yeah. Right? Like a conversational trajectory can be very unique in the way that lots of people can ask how much money Bill Gates has.
0: Right?
1: Mm.
0: Yeah. No, that's uh, definitely interesting.
2: And I think that uh, it's it's more likely that you would also have like personalization prompts from the user in a conversation. It would come out more naturally, also. Or, yeah, which like it's
1: something that can't be anonymized, I suppose. Or yeah, I yeah. think so. It's not easily easy to deal with. Yeah, lots of problems to solve.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Too many. Um, <laughs> Uh, All right, is there anything else you guys want to mention before we close it off? I don't think so. Yeah,
2: I think... uh...
0: All right, then uh, thank you for listening and uh, I'll see you in the next one.
2: Thanks for the invite. Uh, Yeah, thanks.